What is going on, everybody? It is Pop Sports Shorts back with Jared and Matt. Good evening, Matt. Good evening. Um, we're going to dive into the NFL because your NFC, or Jesus, NFC only because it was up on the screen. Your AFC East contention just got a little bit easier today. Yes, well, it did. Yesterday. There's, yesterday. A, there's a few things that happened. We didn't do a show last week, but uh, the Jets beat the Bills, which I did not see coming. Uh, I don't think 20, the Bills saw that coming. 20 to 17. Turns out our defense is legit. All the uh, people who say we never face anybody starting quarterback. I don't know. Does beating Josh Allen count? But, you know, yeah. I digressed two weeks ago. Yeah, because that was the story, right, for the Jets was none of the wins counted because they were facing everyone's backup quarterbacks and then they beat mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers. But And, you know, that still didn't count for some reason because um, <laughs> they're bad. So now they beat the best team in the AFC or the second best team in the AFC, depending on who you ask. Um, but the point is the Dolphin, the Bills lost another one yesterday. They lost to the Vikings, which was actually crazy. Like the Vikings required – the Jet, I don't know. The Jets Bills game was actually pretty straight up. I thought the Jets defense just really did a great job getting pressure on Allen yeah. with four and uh didn't require really any blitzing, but they were getting great pressure on him. That's how they won. Uh offense just went with quick passing, which they should fucking do every week. I've been screaming about that. Don't let Zach Wilson hold the ball, just get it out of his hands fast. Um and then, you know, it was pretty straight up, just kind of a defensive beatdown, to be honest. Our defense is legit, and I think you can now say that. Uh, Vikings bills. I feel like the Vikings required four like absolute miracle plays, like hundred percent. The Justin Jefferson, like I see Bills fans now melting down because it's two losses in a row, and I can't believe I have to say this, but like, relax. I mean, the Justin Jefferson fourth down catch was just one of the craziest catches I've ever seen in my entire life. I I was gonna say when you said the the the, you know, miracle plays. And you said the Jefferson reception. And I, I was going to say which one, cause I watched, so I was watching red zone because unfortunately in central New Jersey, there is, unless the chiefs game is on Sunday night, Monday night, or is like the game of the week. Um, it's very difficult to catch one of their games. So red zone was my option. Once the chiefs game was basically a wrap, um, they really focused on that game. And I mean, I, I feel like every time they cut to him was just another Jefferson catch for some, some freak show of a reception where I'd say 20% of the receivers in the league would make that catch. And that's think, being generous. Do you think he's the best receiver in the league? I see that debate today. I feel like you're partially setting me up to say the thing that I don't want to say, but I'm going to say it. My noted Miami Dolphin is the best receiver in the league. Yeah. I don't know. Jefferson's pretty good. I mean, Jefferson's got that height in that 50 50 ball. So what makes Jefferson so cool to watch is he's got the height. He's got like that length. He gets those 50 50 balls, but then he's also just so twitchy and fast that he can get separation. Mm-hmm. And, and he has that, it's such a terrible phrase to say, and I laugh every time because I'm a juvenile at heart, um, that ball awareness, just like he's that guy who doesn't 
fall to the ground making a catch and have the ball bounce off the turf back into your hands, but then the referees don't review it because it's in within two minutes. Yeah, that's what Gabe Davis does. That's what, yeah. yeah. And no, I mean, we are talking, we're sitting here and we're talking about like some of the absolute miracle plays the Vikings got. The Bills got a little help too. I mean, they had that, that was not a catch, that obviously. That was a huge help. That was not so, a little help. What was that? That, that was, was a, that was to force overtime or was that? Yeah, that was to force overtime. Yeah, right? that was to force overtime. So and that, that was not a play catch. kept that drive alive and put yeah. them. I think it in was first down. I think it was first down though. So I, I mean, but it, it, it was Josh a Allen. Play. Yeah, no, I get it. It was a huge chunk, and it is. Yeah, so it makes a big difference. Um, but yeah, Gabe Davis makes that catch. Clearly, the ball hits the turf, and it was outside. It was inside the two minute warning, so they yes, couldn't cha- they couldn't challenge it, and. You know, it should have clearly been hit the turf. Brutal. The fact that they didn't, the fact that they didn't stop the game at all is is actually crazy. And then there was also a play. I think, I think, uh, yeah. So before, when the Vikings were driving to try to take the lead before the crazy miracle happened, um, when they didn't get into the end zone, uh, the Bills had twelve men on the field, and the refs just totally missed it. Yeah. It, then, of course, you know, karma struck because Josh Allen fumbled the snap and uh, the Vikings recovered it in the end. So, I mean, what a crazy way. That game was nuts. That game was drunk. Um, game of the year, probably very fun to watch. Uh, the fact is, it just it felt like no matter what happened, the Vikings weren't going to lose. It just had that weird sort of momentum to it. Yep. That's why if I'm not a Bills, if I'm a Bills fan, I'd rather get a game like that over in the regular season. Because um, games like that are going to happen a couple of times a year where it's just everything goes against you and you just feel like outside forces are, you know, conspiring you the, for you to lose. You made the wrong call on the, the coin toss and yeah. And like you everything. also allowed Patrick Mahomes to have 13 seconds and yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess the bills yeah, had a few of those. Yeah. Uh, the, for, for what it's worth, it's funny. You, you mentioned that 12 men on the field and I happen to see on the ESPN NFL main page, uh, it was with five minutes and 17 seconds left in the overtime period. Uh, right after a Justin Jefferson pass, no surprise there, uh, to put him on first and goal, which uh, at the two-yard line, which what would that have been? 12 men on the field, so half the distance to the goal, so it would have moved them forward one yard. But Yeah, but the point is it also gives them another chance. Right, it does. Um, I, I don't... Refereeing, uh, refereeing continues to be a point of contention in the 2022 season. Not that it hasn't been in 21 and 20 and 86 and, and 75, but it just seems like, I, I mean, to your point of the VAR in, in Premier League, like we have all this available technology and there's clearly tons and tons of people who are watching these these feeds and watching these these replays and all that and to not have the Gabe Davis pass reviewed to not have something in place where they're saying 12 men 12 men 12 men and and one of the line judges throws the flag like somebody somewhere has to go uh, come on like, come on, it's enough. Yeah. Um, and, and we'll get into 
I, I have yet another gripe with the referees um, spawned by the the Chiefs game, but we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, the 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 twelve men, the the inside of two minutes, Gabe Davis pass that was probably the biggest. I mean, after the second review, my wife's like, "No, I think he got it." I'm like, "No, I, I don't, I don't think he did. I, I don't." And come to find out that after the fact, nope, he sure didn't. But nothing yeah. was done about it. No, now, nothing was done. Now the question is too: the Bills had a big lead. They pretty much stopped running the ball with that big lead, and Devin Singletary was having a pretty good game to that point. Yeah, he, he was having like a season best. Yeah, they were doing a decent enough job running the ball. It was kind of weird that they just totally abandoned the run when they were up big and allowed the and you know kept passing and you know yeah it was weird they extended the game where they didn't need to so i mean bills it's off your plate i still i still would pick the bills to win the afc east um as much as it's hilarious that the jets are in second place right now because the dolphins are in first and actually if the jets beat new england uh next week they'll be in first place in the afc east which is just funny um and i think there i i thought last night there was a path i was looking at it um, where if the Chargers beat Kansas City and the Jets beat New England, the Jets would be in first, like the first seed in the AFC. But actually, that's not correct. It would be it would it would be the Titans. Which that, on... we absolutely cannot have that. That's just unacceptable. <laughs> so uh, we're not going to allow that. Um, so the Chiefs need to get their shit together um, and not allow their secondary to just give away yards to subpar quarterbacks or even average quarterbacks with long hair that could use a trip to the barber. Yeah. So you guys beat the Jags. He played well. Trevor Trevor looked good. Trevor looked looked better than uh, Zach ever looked in that game. So that was, I, I feel like the soft secondary allowed him to look better than what he actually was. Still one. Of course, when when it came down to it, Chris Jones and the rest of the, the front line did Chris Jones and front line things. And um, I cannot wait until Frank Clark can come back from his nonsense uh, suspension. Um, I'm sure somebody shoplifted it at 15 and they'll get suspended for four games. Um, but I, I really honestly cannot wait for him to come back because as good as Chris Jones is Frank Clark's disruption or potential disruption on one side opens up Chris Jones to do what he does. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the funniest thing that happened in that game which was uh, Kadarius Tony catching that touchdown pass and then hopping and in on one hopscotching. Yeah, yeah. Like I, he was like, he was injured just to, I saw that. And I'm like, wait, why is he hot? Did he get hurt already? And I was going to, I was going to go into our, our group message and just start talking crap about, you know, typical giants receivers, like can't even stay healthy for one game with their new team. Uh, was that supposed to be like a pot shot at the Giants? Yeah, I would assume so. Oh, okay, right. I would assume. I, I don't know enough about his past. To... He was injured with the Giants, and uh, uh, you know, 
who knows what was going on there, but clearly he wasn't actually injured. So that was what that was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Otherwise, interesting week. Uh, I would say the award for drunkest game of the week would go to Lions Bears because that game was drunk. Um, I was just wild. Did you watch it? How, I, oh, again, I, I was seeing it on Red Zone. So, um, it, Good for it the was... Lions. If you had, so if you had the Lions being three and six and the Ram, because the Lions own the Rams pick as part of the Matthew Stafford trade. And mm-hmm. right now, that Rams pick is actually ahead of the Lions' first round pick. The Lions' actual pick would be 11th right now if they picked. And I think the Rams would be like five. Let's look. I'm looking really quick. Tankathon. I haven't checked Tankathon this year because my team's good. It's great. Um, let's see. Isn't it nice? It is nice. Rams, yeah. Rams uh pick would be eighth and Detroit's pick would be eleventh. So who the hell thought that would happen? But a good win for the Lions. They beat the Packers last week. They beat the uh, you know, they beat the Bears. Hopefully, I, I really like Dan Campbell. I mean, who the hell knows if he's a good coach? It sounds like he uh a lot of fans are frustrated with him, but you know, he was great on hard knocks. So you have to kind of be rooting for him um, to yeah. get it together. And if, I mean, if they had a one win season, he was probably going to get fired. So now if you're a Lions fan, you're just cheering for the Rams to basically be terrible. And then, you know, you win some games because they still have yeah. two first round picks. So yeah. we kind of, we, we, we got off chiefs Jags. I want to bounce back for a quick second. Um, not to discuss why Mahomes continues to show why he's uh, in the number one contention for MVP, but um, to discuss the hit on Smith Schuster, did you see the replay of the hit? I didn't No, I was watching red zone and they didn't show it or if they did, I didn't see it. Yeah. I was going to say they, they, you must've just missed it. So the, I, I shared the, response from the refereeing squad um flat out bs uh oh he didn't lead with his helmet but it's weird the first thing to make contact was helmet to helmet Mm -hmm. and then shoulder and then the rest of the body and i i honestly thought he injured his shoulder or his arm and then when they did the slow replay that's when i realized he rushed him head to head just absolutely took a shot and initially there was there was a little fabric on the field and then they picked it up um and i i'm not i'm not sure why i'm not sure what part of a player on the ground completely laid out not getting up wasn't enough to say yeah we're going to leave that flag on the ground and it's it's going to get called like or they could have just looked up at the huge scoreboard and said oh look at that replay ooh yeah like not even hit on a defenseless receiver n- no nothing just flat out um just not okay and the overwhelming uh comment i saw on every page on every response everything was 
well, are we protecting players or are we not? Like, let's, let's pick a side here. Like you can't pick and choose. So here is, because it took me a moment, I'm going to share it. Come on. Oh. So here's the hit here. And I left the audio off. And you see right away his arm just tenses up. And there's the flag on the ground. And it play was stopped. Here's here's the slow-mo. First thing to make contact was the helmet. And he just just absolutely juiced him. I saw sh- I'm not gonna lie, I can tell you're upset. I thought I saw shoulder to helmet. So and I mean he is leaning forward there. Like yeah. Later on, they showed a couple other angles and or or at least one other angle. And he definitely helmet way way ahead of gotcha of shoulder. Yeah. And again, it just are we protecting the receiver or are we protecting the players or are we protecting certain players whose initials are like TB? Well, yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Cause he's got, I mean, he's low too, Smith Schuster. Like he's, yeah. and so Stature at a certain wise. point, yeah, no, I just yeah. mean, he's like bent over when he's making yeah. that turn. So it's hard. Cause if you're tackling and you're trying to avoid helmet to helmet, you're going low and leading with your show. I don't know. It didn't, is he injured badly? Is he out for a while? Or uh, is it... He, he is in concussion protocol and he, to it took it a little while. More. It took a little while for him to get up and move. Gotcha. Um, yeah. That's scary. And it was, yeah, he was helped off the, uh, helped off the field. He was not carded, but, um, they're 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 saying it's a it's a done deal that he's he didn't return to the game and that was that was early that was second quarter so uh he did not the whole stiffening of the arm is what got me because usually when a player tenses up like that like it's it's a shot i'll have to watch it some more i really couldn't tell if it was like just unfortunate bad luck or if it was like a truly dirty hit because it's hard when the receiver is bent over like where are you supposed to tackle him are you if you're already going low you know so yeah. i don't well, know that's a tough that's one i can't I, I can't say for sure if i think that's dirty or not i'd have to watch it a few times that's why a lot of people were saying if nothing else defenseless receiver because he wasn't he was looking to his left and as he went to make that turn i mean that guy just leveled him so i don't know i it Again, it there was a flag on the ground, and then they went over and just quietly picked it up and put it away. Like, no, leave the flag on the ground. So that that was my rant with that. Yeah, um, fair enough. I'll have to watch it some more. Sunday night. Eh. I mean, I watched it a little bit. Um Garoppolo is He's methodical, he's clean, but he's not – there's no wow. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I thought it was a good game, though. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and uh, the, the Chargers Chargers need their big 
their big guns back. Not till after they play the Chiefs again, but yeah, well, they kind of own you guys, so we'll see. Well, they the Chiefs owned uh, Justin Herbert's ribs the last time, so. But Damn. yeah, no, yeah, I said that. I said that. You complain um, about a dirty hit on one end, and then. <laughs> no, hit that. That was just that was just flat out bad luck on his. But um, I kind of feel the same about the Smith Schuster one. To be honest with you. I kind of feel like it's just bad luck more than it's a flag. I mean, when they don't usually, again, maybe because I'm on the Jets end of this and the Jets never get flags for this sort of thing. Right. But they don't usually flag when the receiver is low like that. Like when the receiver's low and in the process of turning, they usually don't throw a flag because it's pretty hard for um, a back who's already trying to avoid their head to adjust to that. Because he's... You know, if he's already going low and then the receiver kind of like goes low and turns into it, I, I don't know. I kind of feel like I've seen that a million times and chalk it up to just bad luck usually. But it is really unfortunate if he took a bad hit to the head. Like that sucks. Um, mon- I hate to even put monumental in a conversation with TB, but um, monumental game Sunday morning. Uh, first game in Germany. Yeah, it was um, pretty cool. German fans put U.S. fans to shame as yeah, typical. They did. Um, when you know what I will say, that German fans put a lot of fans to shame. They are so when West Ham were in the Europa semifinal last season against Eintracht Frankfurt, the Frankfurt fans showed up to the London Stadium like the fucking Urukai in hmm. two towers. Like that's what the pack of them looked like. They were pretty. They were pretty nuts. Seemed like. Well. Uh- do you think they're going to continue the push for other countries? Like they should. It's getting. Popular. I know they tried the the Mexico thing. That was a couple of years ago, right? They did the Mexico thing, and it really didn't do so well. I thought it did fine. I think part of it was just it was during the pandemic. So that yeah, that's help. true too. Um, um, I, the German fans were great. I mean, they were singing yeah. the whole time. They didn't require. That's the thing. So if you go to sports in America and. You know, even to an extent, uh, as much as it hurts, when I went to the London Stadium, I sort of felt this way. And I know uh, Dan would probably get smug, but uh, Spurs Stadium is like a joke. Sometimes the atmosphere is what it's referred to as lovingly. But uh, hmm. I feel like American and English fans sometimes like need to be told to cheer from time to time. And yeah. uh, especially us in America, where it's like a theater production with light shows and shit like that. And, you know. Meanwhile, in Germany, they'll just sing the whole game. And yeah, so it was, the fans were great, um, but good game. Um, Brady did his thing. Mm. I know you don't like um, it. Future Jets quarterback no. Tom Brady did his thing. And uh, um, Bucks won. And last thought on the NFL before we shift gears. Do you think, is it possible Derek Carr next year could be wearing maybe a Texans uniform or I would say there's a good chance he could be wearing green and white next year. I, I, I back I, up to Tom Brady. I'm just going to say like the jets are 100% in the market for a quarterback next season. If, um, you know, if Zach Wilson continues at the pace he's at, like if, if we're just looking at Zach Wilson is a game manager, then mm-hmm. The Jets are too good for that right now. They'll end up looking at a quarterback, whether it's Tom Brady, whether it's Derek Carr is a good quarterback. I would happily take Derek Carr on the Jets. 
in the right circumstances, Derek, you can win with Derek Carr. He's a lot like Matt Stafford in that sense. And the jet people are giving, think about it this way. Jags fans, for some reason, think it's a weird flex that Trevor Lawrence is better than Zach Wilson. Cool. Trevor Lawrence is better than Zach Wilson. No one is denying that. Your team fucking sucks. Our team's actually good and is in the playoff hunt with a shitty quarterback because our defense is so good and we have enough weapons on offense to make that happen. So it's a weird flex to be like, yeah, we're a worse team, but our quarterback's better than yours. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, long story short, Tom Brady, Derek Carr, maybe even Aaron Rodgers, I would be interested in any of them in the offseason if Zach doesn't you know, change his trajectory. If he changes his trajectory, then sure. But the fact of the matter is, if Zach doesn't change his trajectory over these last few games, like it's not happening. The, the leap he would take, he would theoretically take a leap from year two to three. But even if he took a big leap, he would still be just a mediocre quarterback at this point. Like he needs to really show something over these last few games to give us hope and then come back with a big improvement for next season. That's, you know, the Jets you think that's going to happen? Ah, uh, no, because we're cursed with quarterbacks we draft. Um, <laughs> it seems like, but that's the only reason I think it won't happen. I, I, I don't know. What I will say in Zach's credit is, so PFF always says stats from a clean pocket are the ones you should pay attention to because they're the most telling. From a clean pocket, Zach Wilson's like a top five quarterback, his statistically. Um, when he's blitzed or when he's under pressure, he's the worst quarterback in the league by a wide margin. So it's actually the splits have jokingly, it seems like made PFF question that whole logic because, you know, Zach Wilson, top five quarterback from a clean pocket and went under pressure, absolutely like the worst quarterback in the league by a good margin. And, you know, the only one who's actually worse under pressure than Zach Wilson? Tom Brady. Mac Jones. Yeah. And you said that with such a smug smile. I love it. Yeah, because Jets love Patriots it. this coming weekend. And, uh, you know, I was pretty upset after the last one. So I hope they're out for some blood. Um, I think hopefully as long as Zach doesn't fucking turn it over four times or whatever he's <laughs> done each time with the Patriots, I think we should. Again, I look at it this way. We lost to the Patriots by five points and Zach Wilson turned it over three times. Like, you know, turn it over one time and we probably beat them. So. That's just, that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, but yeah. yeah, I don't know with him. I mean, again, when he has time to sit in the pocket, he's really accurate. He's really decisive and he makes great reads. It's just when he's under pressure. And again, you know, that's always been the whole thing with people who judge quarterbacks is pay attention to their stats from a clean pocket because those usually end up being the ones that are true to who they become. So that's the only part that I'll say gives me hope. And after that atrocious game against the Patriots where it was, it was atrocious. Like when people went back and watched the tape, he was guys were wide open in the secondary. He was just missing them. Like it, it was just a straight up atrocious game on all fronts. Um, He came back against one of the best defenses in the league and did exactly what he needed to. He threw quick passes and, you know, got the ball out fast, made good reads and didn't overthink everything. So there's things that gives me hope, but I like to, I don't know. Um, I've defended too many quarterbacks that the Jets drafted in spite of them clearly not being it. So I'm just trying to be fair here. Um, but sometimes in doing that, I'm a little too harsh. So 
We'll see. Anyway. So talk to me about, because I, I, I've made it no secret. Um, I am the casual fan, but you guys have really been going in on everything devils. Yeah. Tell me, talk to me about the devils. Well, the devils started off what? Oh, and two. And now currently they're on a nine game winning streak, but even when they had a rough start to the season, they are one of the best five on five teams in the league. So what that means is just, you know, when the teams are matched up five on five, no one's on the power play, anything like that. The devils are one of the best skating teams in the league and the numbers back that up. So I'm going to get throw a few numbers at you. Five on five expected goals per 60. So per game. Devils 3.49 in first place. Second place is the Panthers 3.28. So big drop off there in expected goals mm -hmm. per game between first and second. Five on five expected goals against per 60. Devils first place 2.02. Second place Carolina. So they're up there with the big names. Five on five expected goal percentage. So that just means like how much of a percentage of the expected goals are you generating? per 60 minutes. So obviously, you know, the other team's going to get chances, but are you dominating in terms of who's creating them? You know, how much time do you spend creating chances versus them? So devils first by 63.3%. And the one that gives me the most hope that maybe they're not even hitting their ceiling is goals scored above expected. The devils are in 19th place with negative 2.8. Uh, yeah, negative 2.5. So that means they've scored 2.5 less goals than you would expect them to based on how many chances they've created. And so pretty much what that tells you is the Devils are an elite skating team who create a lot of opportunities. They defend very well. And a lot of that defending very well is because they spend so much time creating opportunities that they're not giving the other team chances to score. And they've not gotten very good goaltending so far. The goaltending hasn't even been league average. Now, Vitek Vanacek, is out right now, although it sounds like he might be back. And the Devils had Akira Schmidt come up from the AHL. What gives me the most hope about the Devils is this. So right now, Jack Hughes is a top-line center. He's an elite center. Nico Heischer is an elite center. Jesper Bratt is an elite winger. Um, they are getting scoring up and down the lineup, but they can, you know, right off the top, they can roll two elite lines at you um, in a game. Their defenders are shutting people down. And the only weak link really has been the goaltending. And the goaltending has slowly but surely kind of started to get a little better. So okay. they might be a legitimately be question. They might be a legitimately good team. It's early. They've won nine in a row. And, you know, uh one of those wins I thought the second game against Calgary, I thought they were pretty lucky to win that one. I thought Calgary was better, but that was kind of their first dud in a while. And even the games where they lost at the beginning of the season, they were clearly the better team in those games. Like they actually were creating tons of chances, but were just let down by their goal tending. That they've made some good trades. So, you know, Ty Smith from Marino from Pittsburgh is looking like a really good trade. Obviously, Dougie Hamilton's been a top pairing defenseman. Um, great. John Gray has been good. Siegenthaler's been like they've, done a great job building this team and then what gives me and dan the most excitement is the fact of the matter that if you look down in the minors or some of their prospects you know they still have luke hughes jack hughes brother who's playing at the university of michigan right now and 
you know, when they re, uh, recently, Corey Promnan from the athletic did a redraft of that year where I think Luke Hughes went six to the devils and he's now the number one prop considered the number one prospect in that draft. If they were redrafting it, um, they drafted this guy Nemec last year, who's already in the AHL and already making some pretty incredible play. Like he had a play where he, you know, skated around a couple of players from the blue line and created a chance on goal. If he had scored it, it would have been one of those highlights that they're showing. So it's, it's not right. just that the devils are good at the NHL level. It's that as a result of maybe being bad for so long, they still have a ton of talent in the system too. And they still have a lot of guys that are probably going to come in late this year or next year and help them be an even more elite team. So future is bright. On top of that, you have Jack Hughes to signed to an eight year contract and, uh, Nico Hishier signed for six more years and their combined cap hit is like 15.2 million. So for two top line centers, you're usually thinking at, you know, 20 million per guy against the cap and the cap in the NHL is much hard. You know how the NFL, the cap's kind of like a make-believe number anyway, like guys turn their contract, you know, they convert right. things they into signing, but play, there's always ways around the games. Game. Yeah. It's much tougher in the NHL too. Okay. So, you know, having two elite players, on very what are looking now like team friendly deals you know eight million in the nhl is a lot to pay somebody but if you're a top line center you're probably getting you know like Connor mcdavid's contract and i'm not saying either of those guys is as good as Connor mcdavid but Connor mcdavid's contract is like 12 million a year so if you're if you have two elite centers and you're paying the, them a combined total of like 15.2 that's also helping devils really do need to resign jesper bratt um this off season, uh, whatever it takes, he's a restricted free agent. So they'd get a lot of compensation if they did trade him, but I want him here. Uh, it's cool. There's this guy who, there's this guy on Twitter who started a Twitter account called the Brat Pack for Jesper Brat. And it was basically just, he started it. So he said he needed somewhere to talk about hockey because his wife was sick of hearing about it. So he started the Brat Pack and then they did an outing the other day. And, you know, they sold out their outing at the Devils game, their allotment of tickets, and they got to go on the ice after and Jesper Bratt came out and met them. So it's pretty nice. cool. Vibes around the team are pretty epic. Night one um, at home, they were booing Lindy Ruff, the coach. And last the other night at the game, the fans were actually chanting, sorry, Lindy, for booing him, which is pretty cool. Like, I've never <laughs> seen that. I've never seen that in sports where a fan base would just start chanting, sorry, Lindy, for booing him. So. That was pretty cool. The vibes are the vibes are perfect right now around the team. Um, my team that does not have good vibes right now would be West Ham United. Uh, lost, you know, since we last spoke, they've lost to Manchester United. They lost a midweek game to Black Blackburn, which is a team in the tier below um, in what's called the the League Cup. So they're out of that. They've lost to Crystal Palace, and then they lost to Leicester this weekend. So they're on a pretty bad run. Yeah, whatever. They're on a pretty tough run right now. I will say the only truly dreadful performance was Palace. And before that, the only truly dreadful performance was Brighton. Like, they're still massively underachieving their expected goals, which sucks to watch because, you know, they hit the post a lot, miss a lot of chances. It's really brutal to watch. It sucks to watch them struggle so much to score. Um. There's a lot of calls to fire the manager right now, which again, I can see why people feel that way because it's frustrating, but fucking relax, sack up yeah. a little bit. It's tough right now. It's tough for everybody watching, but you know what? 
David Moyes, we're not even in a position to be upset about results like this without the manager, without David Moyes. So David Moyes saved us from relegation, took us to six and then seventh, took us to Europa League semifinal. We're into the knockouts this year of the Europa Conference League so we could win a trophy. And a few bad results when they're trying to change their style. It's so frustrating because I actually am, you know, I always looked up, I always, when I was getting into this sport, I always just assumed all the English knew tactics and things like that. But actually, they're just as dumb as us um, <laughs> as far as that goes. Because uh, so the way West Ham started, the way they kind of got sixth and seventh place, respectively, those two years is they would sit back, defend, and look to hit teams on the counter. So you know, defend, sit deep, suck the team in. So they started to bring their center halves across the halfway line. And then they would look to hit them on the break and score quick. And they did it well for a while, but teams started to figure out what they were doing on the break, which was they were almost using Mikel Antonio, my favorite player and their striker as kind of like a decoy to create space for other players. And so what would happen was they booted to Mikel. He'd, you know, hold it up, uh, take on two guys and then put out a pass or something like that. And they just haven't been as effective on the break because teams have been beating the shit out of Antonio. And really there should be a lot more fouls called, but for whatever reason, because he's a big guy, refs don't call fouls when he gets fouled. I digress. The point is <laughs> this season, West Ham brought in a ton of new players in the summer and they've been trying to change up their style to become more of a possession-based team. So before they were better without the ball. Now they're trying to hold on to the ball, you know, do what's called building from the back, which means, you know, your center backs have it, they pass it to the left back or the right back, or they pass it to the midfielders. And you're basically just trying to like progress the ball through the pitch. And what other teams right. do in response to that is they'll use their forwards and their midfielders to try to press your defenders. So normally like old school soccer would always be like, you could have the ball on your back line. And then we're not going to start denying you time and space until you get into our half. But now kind of the new school tactics are we're going to try to deny your center backs or your back line time and space by pressing them. And it's pretty effective. So part of what's happening with West Ham right now is one of the center backs they brought in over the summer, Naya Aguirre, to address that is injured and he got injured right away. And so they're relying on Craig Dawson, who's more suited to sit deep, block shots, you know, do all that stuff that. He's a really gritty defender. He's also one of my favorite players, but he's not suited to that style of playing out the back. So what happens right. is they can't beat that initial press when, you know, they have the ball on their back line and guys are coming in and pressing them. So what's happening is they're turning it over. Now, some of it's in the midfield too. Thomas Suchek is, again, terrific defensive midfielder, and he can get into the box late and create, you know, score chances but he doesn't do well when he's pressed and he can't really play out of the press. So Dawson and Suchek really inhibit West Ham's buildup, but why, you know, there's, a, they can't really drop Dawson because they've kind of had an injury crisis at center back, but there's a lot of calls to drop Suchek. My response is, well, Suchek is also on the other side. When we're out of possession, he's probably the best player on the team at pressing the other side and creating turnovers. So you lose that if you drop him from the lineup. So basically the point is right now, the issues are they're trying to play more expansive. They're trying to hold on to the ball and be more progressive, but they're just not very good at it. And so the result is these kind of games where they get a ton of chances, but they're, you know, 
not scoring them in some cases, or these games where they're getting a lot of possession, but they're just not able to progressively play it forward. And then against Leicester, Leicester really didn't create much. West Ham did a decent job holding the ball. They made basically two mistakes in possession and Leicester scored on both of them. And then they also gave up a penalty, which was saved, but it was a frustrating game. The point is though, you brought in all these new players, you spent all this money. David Moyes is clearly trying to change the style and it's just not clicking yet. Give him more time. He deserves more time. If you bring in a new manager. So what the fans are saying, just to give you an idea, is they're saying it's boring. We're too negative, but we're not too negative. We're trying to play a more pressing style. You know, we're trying to play a more modern style. We just don't have the players executing it. So it just frustrates me because I think people actually don't know what they're watching. They see us losing and they say, oh, okay, we're too defensive or too negative. They think of David Moyes, who's known for that, and they say, oh, we're too defensive, we're too negative. But that's actually not what's happening. We'd probably be getting more results if we went back, reverted back to the lineup from the last couple of years and just were more defensive in the first place. But we're not doing that. We're trying to change the style and sort of progress as a club. David Moyes, mm -hmm. for me, unless, sorry, unless we're going to get relegated, which, you know, we're one point above the relegation zone. So yes, there's always that danger, but I think we have too much quality to get relegated. But unless we're in danger of getting relegated, you don't fire David Moyes. And the problem is, David Moyes, if you're in danger of getting relegated, is also the manager you bring in. So it's like, I would trust him if we were in that danger and it truly wasn't working to switch up the system and go back to counterattacking so that we could pick up enough points to stay up. Like, I think that's also probably on the table. For me, he's done so much for this club. We're not in a position we're in right now without him. So I'm giving him till the end of the season, as painful as it might get, I'm giving him to the end of the season. And I even trust him, like I said, to switch up the style if he has to and save us from relegation if we really ended up in that, which I don't think will happen because our underlying numbers are still pretty good. Whereas the last time we were in a relegation fight, trying to play a more progressive style that got us there, it was under a different manager and the underlying numbers were terrible. Rant over. Hmm. I was Moisten. just going to say that nothing is more aggravating and i i've seen how many teams do it in the nfl and all that where they don't give the coach an adequate opportunity and it's just that's it take him out like next move on to well, hold it. the guy didn't even have unless unless you're in the same division as another team that fired that same coach and then you hire him and he walks into the welcome interview with his googly eyes looking like he's high off his ass yeah david moise is not adam gase um david moise is uh i i would if i ever met david moise i would just personally thank him for bringing me so much joy around this club that i never thought i would have and so yes so the argument the counter the moise out argument is a it's boring which I agree, losing is always boring. So always. you're not going to find an argument there. Uh, then they reference these wins where we also played overly defensive, by the way, but scored a lot of goals because we had teams on the break. Anyway, and the reason, by the way, you can't stick with that whole hitting teams on the break is because it works when you're playing a big club who are trying to attack you. It doesn't work as well when you're playing a small club who are also trying to sit back and hit you on the break. So those games always end up 0-0, zero, zero, and it sort of limits your ability to like push further up the table because you can't pick up points in some of those games against 
clubs that are like you, if that makes sense. And obviously you're not always right. going to pick up those points against the big clubs. So eventually, you know, you can kind of surprise teams like that for a year or two, but you usually have to change your style, which is what West Ham are trying to do, but it's just stupid. So yeah, it's boring. The other argument is our bad form dating back to last season. But the thing was last season, West Ham had the smallest squad in the premier league. They were overachieving in the league and they were in the Europa league, like late stages of this big competition. So what they did was because you're playing every three days and you can't really do that with the same players. They pretty much prioritized the Europa league and didn't really give it a go in the premier league. They just sort of accepted that, you know, they weren't going to get relegated and they were lucky they finished seventh in the end and still in a European competition, but their form in the league last year was rough because they were prioritizing Europa. So what fans are doing now is they're looking back and saying, oh, our form over the last year has been terrible. But there's a very specific reason why the form was bad at the end of last season, because they were prioritizing another competition. This season, it's a different reason because they're trying to implement a new system. So yeah, it is just frustrating to hear people talk and be like, you're all supposed to know this sport better than I do. That's like your birthright, I feel like. and feel like you don't even see you don't even understand what you're seeing in front of you so it's a little frustrating i went into a twitter space yesterday with a bunch of like moise in people and they were all like mm. younger people my our age and they were all pretty much saying the same thing as me which was good to hear and so then when you hear the moise out people a lot of them are like older they don't like the way the game's played now i feel like so maybe there's a bit of that playing into it too but anyway moise in. <laughs> that's all i got well Unless you had anything else, um, I was going to bookmark it for now. Go try and catch the tail end of this Monday night football. I'm really keeping my fingers crossed that, fuck it, that the Washington football team can pull it out. Because I like Washington really, football team. They're I, uh, they're I, driving right now with five minutes left in the second quarter. So I'll let you get to it. It's fourteen ten Eagles. Um, vibes are bad right now around West Ham, but everybody just needs to fucking weather the storm. Uh, World Cup, World Cup break is here too. So we have six weeks now with the players that aren't going to the World Cup break to practice and figure this shit out. Um, that aren't going to the World Cup. Our best players going to the World Cup. And one of the player, one of the players we're trying to bet into the squad is going to the World Cup, but our striker, our new striker, who's been pretty poor off the ball, um, in terms of the runs he makes, not as good as Antonio. It, at the moment is not going to the world cup because he plays for Italy and Italy's not in the world cup. So that's good. Um, so they get six weeks to practice with him and tell him he has to fucking work hard when he doesn't have the ball instead of just standing in the middle of the field, waiting for it. Anyway, patience, that's patience, all. just weather the fucking storm. People stop being, stop getting angry. It's Seriously. also supposed to be entertaining. It's supposed to be entertainment. You shouldn't really? be getting that angry. All this stuff is supposed to be entertainment. I will admit I, I may have thrown things once or twice, but yeah, I've done it too. I was actually during the West Ham Leicester game on Saturday, I was demoing my bathroom, which was actually really helpful as an outfit for yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna keep ranting if you allow me. So let's let's call it a night. All right. Well, uh ladies and gentlemen, please stop by um pop sports shorts on social media, Instagram, Facebook or Instagram, Twitter. Um at fourth wall pop on Instagram and Twitter. Um, check us out. Keep us tuned in. Uh, I am not going on any more vacations, unfortunately. So 
going to make sure that weekly for the remainder of the season, because Lord knows once football is over, I go back into my hibernation until next year. So uh, until next time, uh, have a great evening, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye, everyone.